Some of y'all remember the newsman Ted Koppel. And he said recently that uh, right now, we're giving people the news they want rather than the news they need. Isn't that true? We live in a day and age when, when I turn on the news, often it makes me shudder, right? Anybody that resonate with you? Well, how is it we can hold out hope in a time like this, in a season that we're living in? We can hold out hope because we have the good news. We have the best news, the news that lasts forever in the word of God. For each and every one of us, it's good news no matter what's going on on our television. Well, um, share a little bit about myself. I'm on Instagram and Facebook, and some of you follow me. And I, I posted what I thought was a sort of an innocuous photo this week as I was preparing for my sermon. It's, you know, my laptop and some study notes and a big old study Bible with color on every page. Is, yeah. Have you heard that part? Have we mentioned that? And um, I mentioned that I was preaching on Rahab, and these are some of the responses that people sent me, some of them from this church. They said, get your Rahab on. Rahab had balls, Okay. We don't really talk like that in the church, but maybe we do. Um, Rahab, total bad, blank, blank, blank. You fill in the blank. And so people had colorful comments about Rahab. I, I will say that people also texted and sent me notes and said, I'm praying for you. We're praying for MCC. They're going to need it if you're going to preach. Um, but let me just tell you how excited I am to be here and how excited I am about MCC and that we have a team and a community here, a church community, that is willing to jump into the scriptures and ask the hard questions. And some of our questions will remain unanswered during this lifetime. But it takes courage to say, let's learn together. Let's study the stories of scripture. Let's learn what God has to say to us. And I will tell you this, the, I've been a Christian for a really long time because I'm really old. I look much younger than I am. And, and the more and more I know Jesus, the greater my trust. And so the more willing I am to live in the mysteries that are in scripture, the things that I'm not gonna understand until I see Jesus face to face. And you know who gets the credit for that? God gets the credit for that. Because as I lean in, I find Jesus trustworthy every single time. Can I get an amen? Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna ponder together and we're gonna wonder together and we may even answer a few questions. But before we do that, would you please pray with me? God, thank you for your word that describes who you are so beautifully to us. There are things that we can't make sense of, things you say, just trust me, and so we do. We gather today trusting you. You are our anchor and our stronghold, no matter the story we're in in this moment of our own lives. So God, as we look at Rahab today, take her life and use it to teach us about our lives. Use it and this woman to teach us about you. God, I pray that you would hide me behind your word so you are magnified and glorified and made known today and in the days to come. God, we love you. We're so grateful to be gathered. And all God's children said, amen. amen. So as Jeff said, we're going to talk about Joshua 2, and we'll open that in just a minute. But what we want to do is consider how God's story intersects with Rahab's story and our stories too. So she is pretty amazing. You saw some of the commentary. Um, and in fact, Rahab's faith is mentioned not just in Joshua, but also in Hebrews and James as well. The Hebrews text recounts many faithful servants of God. And the message version describes these faithful servants in a unique way. It's interesting language. It says, by an act of faith. So when we look at Rahab today, we're going to look at her acts of faith. Here's the passage from Hebrews. 
By an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. Rahab not only trusts God, but she takes action. So another passage that she's mentioned in is James. And we, probably many of you learned this in Sunday school and you can recite it, that faith without works is dead. Again, I love the message version of this. The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing? Isn't that what counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing, a corpse. I love this, that seamless unity of believing and doing. Trust, have faith, and also act. My older daughter has had the privilege, her name is Emma, she's had the privilege of spending a lot of time in different countries on Africa. And she came home and taught me an African proverb that states this, pray, and while you pray, move your feet. I like it, it's simple, I can remember it. So I want you to have a couple questions in mind as you're hearing God's word today. Whose am I? To whom do I belong? And then who am I? What gifts has God given you? How has God created your unique soul shape? And then what is mine to do today? As we look at the story of Rahab, we're going to look at one slice of her life and some actions she took, not the whole of her life. So I'm asking you to consider, what is God calling you to do today? Well, we don't know a lot about Rahab, um, but we do know she's a prostitute because it's mentioned repeatedly. And I agree, nothing says welcome to church in the scriptures like talking about a prostitute. So, right? Not too risky for my first sermon, don't you think? Um, parents, I'm not going to explain the word, so if you have children in the room, you get to do that on the way home from church, you're welcome. Um, but this is an interesting story. There are kings, there are spies, there are some things that don't make sense, and, you know, there's Rahab. So, I, the, in the study Bibles, Joshua 2 starts on page 315, the big tome. I did not bring it up here, it would have knocked the music stand over. In the chair Bibles, would somebody tell me what page Joshua 2 is on? 214, thank you, friends. All right, so as I said, we don't know a lot about Rahab. We do know that before we meet her, she has a past. She has her own story. And we can see, even at the very outset of this story, which we'll read in just a moment, we can see that God is moving among God's people. All right, Rahab enters the scene at Joshua 2.1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now God has already given them the land, and Jericho is the oldest inhabited walled city of the world. You guys have heard, you've probably sung the song, right? Joshua, the battle of Jericho, oh come on, Jericho, Jericho, oh yes, Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. Obviously that's after this story, or there would be no Rahab. So Rahab's story intersects with God's story right here in Joshua 2. Um, 
The spies arrive at Rahab's inn. It's sort of like a bed and breakfast. Let's just say they have additional amenities. So she's a prostitute. Um, somebody sent me a note this week and said she's an IWB. And I like I looked at it for a minute. Innkeeper with benefits. Okay, I'll stop there. So she's running an inn. But doesn't it seem strange to you that not just in Joshua, but in Hebrews and in James too, it's she's Rahab the harlot or Rahab the prostitute. So why are the authors continually identifying her as this? Well, the scriptural writers identify her as, as this because the place, this town, Jericho, is familiar with sin. They're trying to point out to us there's more than just one prostitute in our story. As theologian Ed Stetzer says, it's a familiar sin for the people of Israel because they have prostituted themselves. God is showing us a prostitute who is faithful where Israel the faithful have prostituted themselves. So this is a story about one of God's children. I'd call her God's girl, Rahab. Rahab reminds me of Paul's words to us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And Rahab's sin should simply remind us that she is a human being broken and forgiven by God. She's broken and she's in need. And her brokenness reminds me, and maybe reminds you, of our own. So too, her actions um, should resonate with us. Because it is embracing her brokenness, that is the point where Rahab's healing begins. And when we embrace our brokenness, that is where our healing begins, my friends. You know, there is no little girl who dreams of this life and this work, not one. And we don't know how she got there. We don't know the backstory. We can imagine, though, the deplorable things that have been done to her, and she's treated like a thing, like a commodity, not a person. Women in Rahab's time were second-class citizens at best. They couldn't even serve as witnesses at a trial. Their word had no value. She's way lower than that on the social ladder. Still, Rahab is God's daughter, and she's a woman with longings and feelings just like you and just like me. And I wondered, as I read this week, did she hold out any hope of things being different? Did she even risk the hope of having a fresh start? Well, back to our story. The spies are not very sneaky. They arrive and the king goes, oh, hey, there are spies, they're over at Rahab's. You know, really? Wait, what? God somehow allows the king of Jericho to know this is where the spies are and they go over to Rahab's and they say, bring them out. At this point in the story, Rahab has a choice to make. She's hidden them. She says this in Joshua 2.4. Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. And at dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I, I don't know which way they went. And then she sends the king's men off. She knows it's in the wrong direction. She misleads them. She lies to them. She tricks them. They even get locked outside the city gates. She does this at her own peril. In fact, she's risking her entire household by lying to the king's servants. The men, meanwhile, are tucked away under the flax that's drying on her rooftop. And I read this and I'm like, 
did it really say that? Like they're up there hiding and the king's men, they bother to come to the house, they knock on the door, but they don't even search. Does anybody else find that odd? I think God's at work in the midst of this because we know our God has a sovereign plan. In verse 8, Rahab's words become unexpected. They're in direct opposition to the polytheistic culture she has spent an entire lifetime in. Because before the spies lie down at night, she goes up and she says this to them. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. What happened to all her other gods that she's been worshiping? All those idols. But somehow she has heard of Yahweh and she says this. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water on the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. And then she makes this proclamation. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and earth below. Is that ringing a bell? Anybody remember Ben showing us those words last week? See, this is a thread that's woven all the way through the scriptures. The message that there is just one true God. I am Yahweh, the one true God. And somehow, Rahab decides to trust this God. The Bible says that by faith and in an act of faith, Rahab makes a choice. She's an idolatrous Canaanite, a polytheistic prostitute, but she's now encountered in these spies She's encountered actually the people of God. It's not just some far off story she's heard. Now these men are here at her inn and they're not asking for additional amenities. They ask to be hidden. She's decided whose she is right in that moment. You know, when we encounter the people of God, it changes us. In 1976, my friend John was living in a commune in Haight-Ashbury. Anybody remember? Summer of love, right? And they were living exactly as you can imagine in that commune, <laughs> with no intention of changing their behavior. And then one day, one of the guys who lived there came home, but earlier in the day, he'd met Jesus. Here was what was interesting. He didn't come home and start telling them how to behave and cajoling them or correcting them or shaming them. He just kept going up to these other people he lived with and loving them and saying, man, Jesus loves you. Let me tell you how much Jesus loves you. And one by one, over the course of the summer, every man and woman living in that commune came to know Jesus. And my friend John has now been a pastor for 40 years. When we encounter God's people, we are changed. Isn't that a reminder to you and to me to be the loving presence of God in someone's life so that God might change and transform them. So I wonder, when did you encounter the people of God? When did you turn toward Christ? And who in your world might be encountering God through you? Well, the story doesn't end here. Rahab asks the spies for something in beginning at Joshua 12. She says, now then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you'll spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. 
our lives for your lives, the men assure her. Isn't this what followers of Jesus do? Our yes is yes and our no is no, my friends. They say, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. Isn't that amazing that God had her specifically placed right there? She says, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there for three days until they return and then go on your way. The men say, the oath you made us swear will not be binding unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have bought, brought your mothers and father, mother and fathers, brothers and sisters, and all your family into the house with you. If they go outside, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we're doing, we'll be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, and she said, let it be as you say. You know what that looks like in the Hebrew? Amen. So be it. So she sent them away, and then she tied the scarlet ribbon, the scarlet cord, onto the window. She acted in faith. There it is again, the seamless unity of believing and doing. So as I looked at this passage, I have read it many times over my uh, years in of knowing Jesus. I sort of had a wait what as I was preparing for this. Um, you know, I am a notoriously poor historian, and that doesn't really bode well when you're a pastor because there's a lot of history in the Bible. But God is so gracious that the Holy Spirit nudged me multiple times this week and said, this isn't a history book, Court. This is the story of God, and God is a God of relationship. Now, the context and the history matter, and we should pay attention to them. But God's story is a story of God's relationship with God's self as revealed in the Trinity to us. The story is about God's relationship with each and every one of us. It's about the story of Jesus' birth, ministry, and death for us, and Jesus' relationship with us. It's about the Spirit's ongoing activity in our life and the Spirit's relationship with us. Yeah, Yahweh, the God of everything, said to me, I got you, girl. This story is for you as well. As we gain insight into the lives of the people who are in Scripture, some of the models of great faith and some of them profound failures. We're intended to see God at work. They're placed here for, to reveal to us how God's story intersects with our story. I said that I put the post on Instagram, and um, a playwright, friend of mine, saw the post and sent me a video. The video is that this playwright and one actor's attempt to share with us Rahab's perspective. It's just about four minutes, and I hope it will resonate with you. I'm used to people forgetting me. I mean, I see the guys at night, but then if I pass by them at the market the next day, I don't exist. I hardly see them anyway, and and they never really see because it's always in the dark. 
They never want the lights on. I didn't think things would end up this way, but... It was at the end of the day, and I saw them coming. I thought they were customers, so I let them in. But, but these guys, they're not interested in what I usually do. They just want to hide out. That's it. They just need to get real inconspicuous for a few hours, which is okay with me, I guess. So I, I show them up to the roof. There's a bunch of straw drying up there, but, but you can hide here. And... And they keep talking about some, some somebody named Joshua who told them something about land, about our territory and stuff like that and how their God wants to make this whole place new. A new start. I could use one of those. New. But the city guards saw them come in and they come banging on my door all yelly and demanding and they're waking up my daughter. She's only two and they want to know, where are they? You know they're spies. Tell us where they are. Maybe they're spies. I, I, I know they're not supposed to be here, but they're right outside my door and they're, they're wanting me to turn them in. But, but, but I can't. Oh, that's stuff about what their God might do. Bring them here. I open the door and my heart is pounding, but I just, I decide, I say, yeah, there were men here, but when are there not men here? Besides, they left already. So they go. Are you asleep? Look, I know that your God is the God of everything. I believe that. And so when you come into our land, please remember me and my family. And just give me a sign of good faith that you will. And then they ask my name. Do you know how many people ask my name <laughs> in this town? They, they call me that woman. My name? Rahab. When they see me, they can say, hey, Rahab. And then they give me this. Tie this on your window, and when we come, we'll remember you. They're going to remember me by name when they see.
This prostitute, this woman who's been in a demeaning position for so long, is seen by the King of Kings, by Yahweh, the God of everything. Isn't it interesting that there is a scarlet cord that actually is the provision for protection for her and her family? Now, we have the good news of the New Testament. So we can see the thread, the scarlet cord thread that's running through Scripture. We believe, and scholars believe, that Rahab having the scarlet cord was intended uh, to show the Israelites to look back, to remind them for the first Passover, when the blood of the lamb provided protection. Well, we don't have to just look back. We get to look ahead to Jesus, who's poured out scarlet blood, is our protection and provision for eternity. Amen? I hope when you came in, you got a little piece of scarlet ribbon. If you didn't, there's some. You can grab one on the way out. My hope is that as you're reading through the scriptures this summer, maybe it would be your bookmark and a reminder that God knows your name. That God intends for you to live a life that uh, involves your faith and action. That yes, we are called to pray, but we are called to pray and move our feet. Why? Because we know from the story of God, we know from the Spirit's work in our day-to-day lives that the Lord our God is God in heaven above and on the earth. God remembers your name. God knows you, my friends. Yahweh alone is the one true God. May you know that today. Please join me in prayer. God, you are all grace, all mercy, all love. Thank you for the story of Rahab, who somehow was able to trust you in a very dark world. God, give us the courage to trust you in this very dark world. Remind us that we too have this cord, this thread that ties us together with the family of faith and the great cloud of witnesses through all time and eternity. We long to live in courage and in grace so that others around us might know that you are Yahweh, their Lord and their Savior. Thank you for this time and thank you for each one here. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.